and welcome to Cubs PS Plus, a Northside Numbers game, a weekly podcast that dives headfirst into the analysis of hot topics driving Chicago Cubs baseball. I'm your host, Mike Waller, a lifelong Cub fan, full-time baseball stat nerd, and sometime youth baseball coach. Thank you for spending time with me today. I know there are a lot of choices out there. You can also find me on Twitter and Instagram, both at Cubs PS Plus, a spin on the baseball metric OPS Plus. Please take 10 seconds and drop a rating or review on Apple, Spotify, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever it is you find your podcasts. If you've done that, thank you so much. Maybe share an episode with a friend. Just a few seconds will help me get better and help others find the show. I'd love to know what you want to know about Cubs baseball. Welcome to episode 15. Today I had a great conversation with Craig Calcaterra, a longtime baseball writer who recently published the book, Rethinking Fandom, How to Beat the Sports Industrial Complex at Its Own Game. With Cub fans left out of the postseason again, watching Kyle Schwarber hit bombs in Philly and waiting to see whether the next Cubs team could be the next great Cubs team, it's a good time to step back and take a look at what it means to be a fan. We've had our frustrations as Cub fans watching favorite players leave as management cut spending and ownership has not always done everything possible to compete. Craig and I discuss how he came to write the book, how fandom is impacted by the business side of baseball, and the accessibility of baseball to young fans today. I'm a huge baseball fan. I'm a professional baseball writer. I have two kids who have zero interest in baseball. And it's it's not because they're rebelling against that. Like I took them to ball games and they enjoyed themselves and everything. But it's just not part of their lives. It, it And it can't be. We also talk about what fans can do when ownership isn't competing or we don't like the direction of the team or some of the players' off-field activities. If you root for a team that is just absolutely horrible, that's tanking and whatever, don't root for them. I mean, even if it's a matter of taking a two-year break, go and watch somebody else. If you're not getting enjoyment out of it, don't do it. And don't just have blind loyalty. I don't mean... The the chapter of this, and I did it intentionally to piss people off, it's called, It's Okay to Be a Fairweather Fan. You can because who wants to walk around in the rain all the time? I really enjoyed this conversation with Craig and I'd highly recommend the book and his daily baseball news and culture newsletter, Cup of Coffee. You can find Craig on Twitter at Craig Calcaterra or on his website, craigcalcaterra.com. I'll put links in the show notes. Are you ready? I'm ready. Here we go. Craig, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Mike. Great. Well, I was looking at your cup of coffee newsletter yesterday and it was well timed so you're talking about the world series and i saw you put in a bit in there about scott boris advocating for a neutral site world series which i thought was pretty hilarious i hadn't seen that before and do know the topic comes up from time to time um you know give your thoughts about that and kind of what that would mean for the fans it's watching these world series especially like last night in philly it's hard to picture these world series games without just those insane fans in the crowd Oh yeah, it's it's crazy to even think about it. And I, I'll be fair to Scott Boris. I haven't heard him advocate for this for a couple of years now. He spent, I'd say, two or three straight years in the mid-teens, probably, where every year during the the GM meetings or the winter meetings, he'd talk about we really should look into this neutral site series. And it's very clear for him that that was all about planning and all about parties and all about you know the way you could sort of gland head VIPs and. Uh, you know, I'm sure he would love to take prospective free agents to his hotel suite and show them a great time if they have a Miami or a Los Angeles-based World Series. He hasn't said sure. it in the last couple of years, but oh no, it's it's just ridiculous uh, with respect to baseball. Um, 
you know, football has always done it, of course, with the Super Bowl. That's one right. game. 70, 80,000 tickets. Yeah. Um, it, a World Series that goes seven games, what do you need? Like 300,000 seats sold? I mean, who's doing that? And who's yeah, I hadn't traveling? thought about it. Yeah, that's the thing, because you're going to have four to seven games, and then it, you still have to have the mm-hmm. days off because of pitching staff stuff. So it would be a nine-day event, uh, possibly a nine-day mm-hmm. event, anywhere from a, a five to nine-day event. Um, fans won't travel for that. There's not enough notice to travel for that. I mean, even with the Super Bowl, you get like two weeks notice now, uh, and you can maybe buy some refundable tickets four weeks out if you if your team is making a push in the playoffs. In baseball, you got, what, like three days max <laughs> between <Yeah>. the end <laughs> of the, the series. It, just, it would never work. And, of course, as you mentioned, the, the biggest thing is you watch those crowds in Philly or years that they're in New York or Boston or Chicago or other places where there are uh, baseball uh, crazy fans. Uh, that's not going to translate to, you know, Orlando or wherever the hell they'll put that kind of thing. Yeah. Well, I, and I think back, like, be, so being a Cubs fan with my Cubs podcast, you know, six years ago today was Cubs Cleveland game seven. That series oh, would have been totally different if it wasn't going back and forth between the two, you know, tortured cities. Oh, yeah. Does Jason Hayward even get the chance to give the pep talk uh, if you don't have a rain delay right. or anything? I mean, come on. That's, you you got to have that stuff. I know it's frustrating. And, and let's be fair. I don't think anyone except for maybe Scott Boris a few years ago uh, has ever seriously advocated for this. Sure. But when you have things like we had on uh, on Monday with a rain out, uh, you know, it gives people a chance to talk about this and people get very animated. We should have retractable roofs everywhere. We should have a neutral site series. Uh, <laughs> and then it just goes away as soon as you see a wonderful game, at least unless you're a Houston sure. fan, uh, like we had on Tuesday night. True. Yeah, no, that's great. And But but I, I thought it was a good lead into this because your, your book, Rethinking Fandom, is all about kind of the experience of the fan and what it's like to be a fan in today's sports. So I guess to kind of dive into that, how did you get started thinking about this book? It's really been a long, long process, evolutionary process. Uh, Part of it was personal in that uh, I live in central Ohio. I went to Ohio State University for college, and I was a tremendous college football fan from, you know, the time I was a little kid up until about 10 years ago. And you live in Columbus, and you go to Ohio State, and you go, there's nothing that compares to big-time college football fervor. Uh, And the only thing I think that even compares to Ohio State is stuff down south. Um, I went to Iowa, so I get the whole Big Ten thing. Yeah, you know exactly how it is. Big sports school, it's it's the same thing. Big Ten folks get it. Um, I found myself not enjoying it, even though I considered myself a committed Buckeyes fan and was really into it. And I was getting to this point, uh, this was about 10 years ago, where you know it wasn't enough for them to win. They had to win by 35 points. And it wasn't enough for them to get a good recruiting class. They had to have the best recruiting class. And it just became miserable. And I I sort of checked myself and thought, why am I watching this if it's not fun for me anymore, if I'm not getting any enjoyment out of it? Now, Mm -hmm. I know a lot of people can be completely fervent college football fans or fans of any sport and still enjoy it, but I wasn't. And so I backed away from it, and it felt almost like, like a betrayal. And it was weird, and I would find myself apologizing um, to people over it. And I didn't know why. So over the years between that and then writing about baseball, and when you're a baseball writer, you just, you have fans in your comments, you have fans on social media that are, are crazy and unhinged. I just found myself wondering, what are we doing? And, and what allows us to put ourselves in such negative spaces 
over something that's supposed to be fun. And I wanted to explore that a little bit about how can sports still be fun for us? How can, if it stops being fun in a certain way, can we still remain sports fans rather than having to just to give it up completely? That makes sense. And some of the things we'll get into are good. And I think it's interesting too, being a Cubs fan, you know, I picked up the Cubs through WGN when I was seven, eight years old. I think you had a similar path to baseball, weren't you? Your Braves fan, TBS days. Oh yeah, absolutely. I, um, I having, moved away from yeah, moved away from a baseball city to a place where cable was it, and it was either the Cubs or the Braves, and I picked the Braves. <laughs> yeah, I picked the Cubs probably because we had the AAA team in Des Moines. I mean, that's, oh, that's probably yeah, what broke yeah. the tie. Um, but having that accessibility as a kid—that's what got me in, and I identified, you know, chasing that the whole lovable losers thing. Like we're never going to win, but it's fun anyway. And I've seen such a change in Cubs, especially with social media and Twitter and all that stuff. But the change post 2016, like now, not to say we're the same level as Ohio State, you know, who is in the top like five teams every year. Um, but there's an expectation that's different. It's gotten a little bit nastier. It's gotten a little bit more contentious. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw that with Braves fandom uh, because when I started following the Braves, it was 1985. And from mm-hmm. 1985 through 1990, I don't think there was a worse team in baseball. Uh, no. They were just god awful, um, and that was, you know, that tracked my age 12 to age 17 years, of, and I was a huge baseball fan. And I kind of came to enjoy it, not wanting them to lose, but the yeah. low stakes of it was was great. And then after they started winning the division every year in the 90s, it became a little tiresome and became a little <laughs> worrisome. Like, oh God, are are they really going to win 103 games again this year? You know that kind of stuff. Right. Well, and getting through the 90s, I mean, it's such a different experience to have all those division championships and it was one World Series. Well, one World Series win. I guess they made it a couple times, but... It, it is funny, I you know, because now we've had this big conversation in baseball about, well, the best team in baseball doesn't win in the postseason because of the way the postseason is set up. Is that a problem? I'm like, talk to a 90s Braves fan. We're totally cool with the idea <laughs> that you could be the best team in baseball and not win the World Series. It happened probably, I'd say, four or five times yes. uh, during that decade. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty funny. Um, so would you get in the book, one of the things that struck me was you talked about the ship of Theseus problem and you know as a Cubs fan so I started kind of around this time of Ryan Sandberg's rookie year was about when I picked him up and so over the course of the 80s we had Sandberg we picked up Dawson we picked up Grace we picked up and lost Greg Maddox but up until sort of the time I went to college like Ryan Sandberg was there almost the whole time constant other change but it's still sort of it almost felt like one entity but then since then, there have been, like, there was the team in 2003, in 2004, with Dusty at the helm, and um, a little run in the late 2000s, 2007, 2008, then the real dark years before Theo came in, and then another era. Um, so that really made me think, you know, the whole, like, when are, when are the Cubs still the Cubs? When is it, when does it really feel like a different team? Walk me through your thought process there. So... I'm somebody who, like a lot of online baseball people, um, especially in the last 25 years or so, have appreciated not just the team on the field, but the team building process. Um, I'm not so much now, but definitely for most of my baseball fandom, I could tell you who the top 10 to 15 prospects are on most teams, especially my team. I could probably go deeper. I like seeing a guy come up and, and break his 
uh, way into the into the majors and then develop and see the old guys, you know, move their way out eventually, especially if they have a good ending, hopefully. And um, so the idea that teams change over time and the personnel changes over time is one I've always generally been comfortable with. Um, I don't know that everyone is. I know that a lot of people fall in love with a team because of the players. There are a lot of people like yourself who became Cubs fans because of Ryan Sandberg in the early 80s, early and mid 80s. A lot of Braves fans became fans because of Dale Murphy, especially like in 1982 mm-hmm. when they won a division. Um, and you, you sort of have to figure out as players age and leave or get traded or whatever happens, what is your relationship with the team? Now, if you're somebody who follows it closely and deeply every year and you know who's coming through the pipeline and what it might look like next year and the next year that's not as big an issue for you because you're 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 starting to find new players to root for every year but there are some fans i would say most casual fans who are to use the jerry seinfeld expression rooting for laundry um that can be okay too i'm rooting for a great experience at wrigley field seeing them in their beautiful white pinstripe shirts and going, you know, the entire experience of going to a Cubs game. And maybe it matters, maybe it doesn't matter who's on the team. Um, the problem with that is I think ownership and team executives have gotten very savvy to the fact that most of us root for laundry, that most of us will root whether the team is good or whether the team is bad. And maybe a few fewer of us will show up if they're bad and more of us will show up if they're good. But we'll watch and we'll pay attention and we'll generally call ourselves Cubs fans or Braves fans or whatever, no matter how good the team is. And so the problem that the whole rooting for laundry thing creates is when the teams start to take advantage of fans and basically take the position that they'll never say out loud, but they they very much say through their actions is you'll root for whatever we throw out there as long as it has the logo on it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what creates the opening for what I call in the book, the sports industrial complex, the owners, the executives, the networks, the, the, the league commissioners and people like that to take advantage of fans because our fandom at that point is kind of irrational and definitely a passionate one. I root for the Cubs because I always have and it's part of my identity. So they'll give us whatever crap they think that we'll eat up and we generally accept it. And in the book, I kind of argue, maybe you don't have to. Yeah. Well, and I think that I think for a long time, I think a lot of Cubs fans associated with that. You're like, I want to be here when they finally do it. Mm-hmm. You know, that'll valid. keep you around for a while. Then Absolutely they did it. Valid. But now, you know, they trade off Anthony Rizzo. They trade off Chris Bryant. They trade off Javi Baez. Looks like Wilson Contreras is going away. Like, I could see this year, finally, attendance was down, I think, over half a million people, three quarters of a million people, to levels not seen since, like, 1997. I think marquee ratings I read were down 20% year over year, maybe maybe even more than that. Um, so I'm, I think maybe this year the fans did send a message. I know the Cubs have reduced season ticket prices 5%, which they certainly did not do the last couple of years. Um, so maybe this is the fans kind of sending that message. I, I think that's definitely what you're seeing there. Um, and I'll, I'll make two points about this. The first one is... Um, Obviously, baseball players have a prime. Obviously, they get too old. Obviously, they, they decline and you have to change. And I, mm-hmm. I get accused sometimes of a lot of the things I write in this vein saying, oh, well, 
you just expect the teams to stay static. Where would the Cubs be if they had an injured Chris Bryant and a worse-than-ever Javi Baez right now? And that's fair, right? But the, the, mm-hmm. the idea is not you've got to keep the same nine guys all the time. I, I originally grew up in, in Michigan. The, the Detroit Tigers in the 70s really had a huge problem because they felt that they could keep the 1968 team together for another seven or eight years, <laughs> and it was already an old team. Yep. So you know, that really caused some problems. You can't do that. What fans, I think, want is show us you're trying. Okay, you're not going to be able to sign Chris Bryant because of some bad things that happened you know, seven, eight years ago. Great. Who's going to be the next? Yeah, Chris self-inflicted Bryant? wounds there. Yeah, that was a self-inflicted wound, certainly. Um, but fine, it, people would accept him going away if there yeah. was a good replacement, sure. or if you're going to spend money for someone else, or the money that you think you needed to spend on Chris Bryant for someone else. Uh, you know, this year it really sucks, or next year it really sucks that Kyle Hendricks is likely not going to be able to pitch very well because of that shoulder injury. Well, if they go out and yep. get an ace. That's okay. We could deal with it. If they decide that they're going to go with a bunch of fourth starters, eh, that's not so good. So people will accept that. Um, you know, the, the other point is, okay, the Cubs are lowering season ticket prices. That's a good thing. I don't think baseball teams or more, most sport teams anymore are hurt the way they used to be by fans showing their displeasure. One of the central problems of sports right now is there's a huge disconnect between winning and making money. It's nice that the Cubs lowered their season ticket prices, but the the problem is they could put out a 100-loss team probably for a decade straight and still be profitable. And the reason for that is Mm -hmm. because TV money is locked in and because gambling money and sponsorship money is locked in. And some of those TV deals are tremendously huge right now. the national TV deal that Major League Baseball has right now pays each team, each team, $65 million a year. The local TV deals average $50 million a year, and I'm sure the Cubs is much, much larger because of the market and because of the, the brand. So at a minimum, teams are bringing in roughly 115 to $120 million before they sell a ticket, before they sell a hot dog, before they sell a jersey, uh, before they charge you for parking or anything else. Every team that has a payroll considerably below that, and there are a lot of them, are basically just stealing from us. They, 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 yes. they don't care. The Pirates are the best example I come up with. They are profitable before they sell a single ticket. They don't have a payroll of hardly anything. Um, and there's no incentive then because if they lose and fans don't show up, they're still making money. That wasn't the case 25, 30 years ago and the rest of the mm-hmm. history of baseball. It is now, and that's, that's a big issue. And Pittsburgh especially, that's such a great baseball town. It's, it used to it's be. It's a shame. It, it, it's funny. Yeah. I've got a lot of friends that live in Pittsburgh, and uh, sports fandom there is amazing. And the, the sort of fervor that used to be – I mean, the Steelers are always going to be the Steelers. But sure. the fervor that used to be with the Pirates, they're all Penguins fans now. Yeah, and makes sense. No, people have just stopped caring about the Pirates to where if they now go on a 10-year run where they start winning, it's going to take a few years for them to, to get the city excited again. Yeah, I think so. So kind of on that same point, um, one of the things I wanted to ask you about was, so let's take the Ricketts in particular. So we, they've got Wrigley Field. They don't necessarily have the, you know, you talk about the stadium scam. That's not really in play in Chicago. Um, they did probably they, the, they they did try. I will I will give you that. They did try. But they did ultimately have to privately fund the renovations. But now what now they're in a scenario where 
they bought up so much area around the park. They've got the hotel across Clark Street. They've got restaurants, bars, all the stuff that they bought up. How much do you think it plays in that, you know, 2020 happens, and I wish Ricketts had never said it, but the whole biblical losses thing. Um, but if fans are not going to the game, that's less traffic for the restaurants. That's less stays in the hotel. That's less trips to the new sports book they're building. Do you think that plays in as an incentive to put a better product on the field? Less so in Chicago than than elsewhere. Um, you know, the Braves oh, are a true. good counterexample. They're out in the suburbs and they've got a huge development around their new stadium. And their owner, uh, he didn't say biblical losses, but he did a couple of years ago in front of a bunch of shareholders for Liberty Media, which is the company that owned the Braves. The Braves had started the season out terribly, like going like one in 10 or something like that. And he said something to the effect of, hey, you know, yes, the baseball team is having some trouble right now, but remember the Braves are not just a baseball team, we're also a real estate company. I mean, he actually said <laughs> that. Um, it's, it's a hedge. Now the Braves would suffer more because since the stadium is isolated, relatively speaking, there might That's be true. a significant down. I mean, people aren't not going to be in Wrigleyville, right? I mean, That's true. it's in the middle of the city. People are going to be coming through there. They're going to be making money off of those places for a long time. And it works the same way as the TV money and everything else. Um, baseball losses will, you know, there will be a fluctuation of what their revenues are at the restaurants and everything else, but baseball losses on the field will have far less of an impact because there is basically insurance against it everywhere else because fewer ticket prices don't matter. People will still go to a bar. People will still go to a restaurant. People will still stay in the hotel. True. Actually, they might go to the bar to avoid paying the ticket price to get in the stadium. Yeah, you get them both ways. I mean, the Rangers yeah. have done a, a, a masterclass in that, in that when they built that new Globe Life down in Arlington, they have it attached to like this huge sports bar. It doesn't require a ticket to go into. It doesn't require you to pay for stadium parking. They know, hey, we're, no one's going to spend $47 for this ticket, but people will come in and buy beer because that's lower. Mm -hmm. Another question kind of related. So you talk about gentrifying the bleachers was one of the chapters of your book. Um, the, the fan experience and kind of that exclusivity how much of that is, and I totally understand your point and, and agree with it to varying extents, but, and maybe it just comes back to the fact that attendance doesn't matter as much as it used to, but when I'm evaluating what I'm going to do, it's kind of like a movie theater today. Like I can sit at home on my 4k TV with my own food and a pause button and I can control the lighting and I don't have some idiot behind me on a cell phone. Um, versus going to the theater. So I want that comfortable seat. I want the good food. I want a cocktail, whatever the case is. Um, are the stadiums trying to play that up so that to draw fans to the stadium as opposed to sitting home on the couch and watching the game? I don't know if it's a one-to-one -one like that. I think they're okay. I mean, a lot of newer stadiums have lower capacity than older stadiums and several existing stadiums, including relatively newer ones, like the one in Cleveland, they have reduced the the seating capacity on purpose. Like they took out like 20,000 seats or something crazy up in the progressive field in, in Cleveland. So they're okay with having fewer people come. What they're really focused on is more dollars per fan. Um, okay. They would much rather sell two tickets at $125 each than, you know, five tickets for 20 bucks. You know, it's just, it's that simple. 
um, and you will incentivize people to spend those for those expensive seats by giving them clubs and giving them comfy chairs and giving them you know free concessions or whatever. I mean, some of these, some of the in the book, I talk about how the Yankee Stadium Legends suites work. It's crazy the way they. I mean, and I've had the luxury of once going to one of those clubs. Uh, it was the one in Pittsburgh of all places. It's very nice, even though no one goes to that park anymore. Uh, mm-hmm. I think it was like the Mercedes <laughs> Club or something at PNC Park, and you go in there and you know i would i don't own seats there but like i was using someone else's tickets they you know gave them to me but sure they knew my name i walked in hello mr calcaterra i see you're sitting at whatever seats they usher you there they bring you whatever you want they have a big stand of like free crap for you to take you know candy and concessions and everything they're making their money off you they're turning it into a luxury good and they're turning it into something that is sort of irrespective of what's going on in the field um People will go to ballparks now to use the cliche, see and be seen, but also to show that I have the money to get these seats. Uh, there's a section in the book talking, it's like an economic theory of, we know how supply and demand works. You know, Generally, uh, the, the more expensive something gets, the demand will go down a little bit because it's too expensive for a lot of people. Well, luxury goods work a little bit different, hyper-luxury goods. And some of those things, the more expensive they are, the more desirable they are because they show status. Um, baseball seats have, and sporting event seats have turned into that, and baseball knows that. Uh, so they will happily make things more expensive, more luxurious for the sorts of people who want to do that, generally rich folks. Um, there's a reason why if you watch a Yankees game uh, that all of those super expensive legend seats behind home plate are empty or half empty for much of the game. They're all back in the club glad handing with their friends or talking about business deals or whatever yep. it's become a very different experience than it than what we're used to sporting events being it's interesting and that kind of leads us into i want to talk about kind of baseball accessibility so you and i became baseball fans because baseball was readily available on tv i mean we could just i could tune in the entire summer every afternoon i've got a game at wrigley field um i think today with the blackout rules like i i find it crazy i'm in charlotte north carolina and when it's actually good for me the cubs are out of market so i can do the mlb package and it's mostly a non-issue i kind of get the braves are blacked out they were kind of our local market but when they play cincinnati 19 times i have to go find them on the cincinnati channel because they're blacked out here because it's because baseball's blackout rules are just absurd Mm -hmm. um how much of that kind of plays in you know you're trying to be a fan you're actively trying to be a fan and sometimes baseball makes it so hard yeah it's it's terrible i you know i'm a huge baseball fan i'm a professional baseball writer i have two kids who have zero interest in baseball and it's it's not because they're rebelling against that like i took them to ball games and they enjoyed themselves and everything but it's just not part of their lives It, it and it can't be um you know, we're in central Ohio, we're blacked out from the Guardians and we're blacked out from the Reds. And for weird historical reasons, we're also blacked out from the Pirates. And I know those aren't like the biggest teams in the history of the world or everything. But when my kids were seven, eight, nine, ten years old and their friends are, you know, fans of a certain team, my kids can't really watch them unless we have like the expensive cable tier or something. You can't just turn on the Guardians game or the, or the Reds game. Uh, you certainly can't stream it, which... No, I mean, I don't, you know, if you have teenage kids or anything like that, you know, they don't watch TV. I mean, they don't sit and turn on a television. They, they stream stuff. It's impossible for them to be fans of the local team. 
so yeah, they could use my MLB TV subscription and become Dodgers fans, which for a couple of years they kind of did in a weird, you know, thing that sort of went nowhere for them, but they did because they could. Um, but it's just not in front of them. And, you know, baseball has made a choice. We can make sure that our game is accessible and is on either over-the-air TV or basic cable or something, uh, or we can take huge upfront money from regional sports networks or our own sports networks or whatever uh, and guarantee that more money. And if fewer people can see it, fewer people can see it. Who cares? The check is cleared. And right now, that's great for baseball. It, they're making so much money. That's $65 million I mentioned on the national package and the, the $50 million plus that every team is making from the, from the regional package is a lot of upfront money that they never used to get. If you look at what the TV deals were 20, 30 years ago, they were paltry compared oh, yeah. to today. But it's going to create a demographic collapse because if it's out of sight, it's out of mind. And the analogy that I tend to get, and they might still make a lot of money with it. The analogy I tend to give to people, though, is it's like boxing or horse racing. Uh, for the first half of the 20th century and like the late half of the 19th century, the big sports were boxing, horse racing, college football, and baseball. Uh, boxing mm -hmm. and horse racing, as they became niche sports, as they went to pay-per-view, as they went to closed caption, as they went to off-track betting, fewer and fewer people were able to see them. And now hardly anyone sees them. They make a lot of money. Every boxing event makes millions and millions of dollars. But no one talks about it. It's not in the zeitgeist. It's not part of the right. national sports conversation except once in a great, great while. Baseball is heading in that direction. It's becoming to the point where I'll meet a baseball fan. Now, I live in a city that doesn't have a team, a major league team. Mm -hmm. I meet a baseball fan. It feels like, oh, my God, another baseball fan. How <laughs> neat. It's going to be an increasingly common occurrence for people who consider themselves baseball fans. We're going to be niche weirdos like, uh, like anything else uh, and not too far from now. Yeah, I watch it through my kids' eyes, and I've got my oldest, who's now off to college. He played baseball through high school, so he's he's a big fan. He loves the game. Um, my young, my middle played for a while, but he's more of an arts and theater kid. And my youngest is playing now, and he'll have his little league twelve year old season next year. So we'll we'll see where he goes. But they like the Cubs. Like they always want to know how the Cubs are doing. You know, the, the Cubs always fly the W flag. I, we've got some magnets. We have the kid. We've had the kids put up in the house when the Cubs win a game. So. They're into those sorts of things, but they don't often watch a game. Um, even my oldest, who's way into it, you know, it's it's MLB The Show on Xbox. It's And that's um, way ahead of where a lot of people yeah. are, right? And having played it is a big indicator of whether or not you will be a fan later in life, and fewer and fewer people play it now. True. But you're, you're a step ahead already, though. Well, and it's also interesting just how different the experience is. So they don't watch games. My oldest would watch some college because it was more accessible, you know, during the day and streaming, like you, to your point, in a way that he can watch it at a time when he wants to watch it. Um, but things like the Pitching Ninja Twitter feed, you know, where, where you can get these overlays and cuts and you can watch how they actually execute their skill. I think that's hugely on the rise. I mean, I would have loved oh, to yeah. have some access to some of the stuff when I was a horrendous player in high school. Well, that's a big reason why basketball really took off with young people, certainly in the 90s, um, is because, you know, we had, you know, you had videos of, of slam dunk, you know, montages and things like that. Those, yep. those little snippets of the game, which obviously aren't the whole game, were exciting. Baseball is way behind on that. We're just now starting to get it. I mean, for years, baseball would crack down on people sharing uh, you know, gifts of cool plays or home runs or something like that on the internet, they finally understood, oh, wait, this is a good thing to do. So, you know, no one goes after Pitching Ninja now. Um, but yeah, that's a They actually way. started to. They, they, they came oh, to have it. they? 
Well, oh, they God. started to, but they came to an agreement. They decided, wait, this is this is too good to shut down. Yeah, I mean, I, that's the thing. Baseball for years didn't understand that, you know, get them, bring them in with something free, right? And then we'll get them later. Uh, you know, I, yeah. I, 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 earliest parts of baseball fandom, there are a lot of different reasons, but like, you know, collecting baseball cards and it wasn't like the licensed baseball cards. It was like the weird hostess ones where they had to airbrush out all the <laughs> logos and stuff on the back of the Twinkies box in the late 70s. Um, you know, Major League Baseball didn't make much, if any, money from that because it just wasn't their <laughs> thing. I mean, if that happened today, somehow there would probably be injunctions flying and stuff. But, oh, yeah. You know, some baseball fans were created by random stuff. Or the, the Little Kids Little League, when I played, like, rando, low-rent Little League when I was, you know, a very little kid, and the coach went out and sprung for, you know, 13 Tigers hats, and we're all wearing Tigers hats <laughs> and calling ourselves the Tigers. Okay, that's, that's a big way to get kids to get into baseball and maybe be a Tigers yeah. fan. I think now, if it wasn't, like, through some affiliated agreement where Major League Baseball gets a cut of it or licensing or something, I don't know if that could happen. They'd probably try to shut down Little League. Probably so. Well, that kind of leads me into the next topic I want to talk about. So we're, we're about to hit free agent season once the World Series is over. And on the one hand, like I'll, I'll listen to Cub fans and they want to spend, right? They want to get that team back that they had in 2016. And then on the flip side, you'll hear like, well, not that guy. It's too much money. And I, I do under, there there is a framework. They The CBA does define the luxury tax threshold, which is not a salary cap, but it's sort of a salary cap. And um, hopefully this year the Cubs will at least get up close to it as opposed to hanging 80 million below it. Um, but that whole idea of millionaires versus billionaires, and of course we went through that with the work stoppage last year. You know, talk about the greedy players making so much money, but like you say in the book, where where's the money going to go? It's going to sit in the owner's pocket. Right. I mean, some of that mindset of common fans saying, oh, we got to be careful on how much we spend is, while unfortunate, it, we come by it honestly, uh, especially over the last 20, 25 years or so. You know, a lot of people used to grow up wanting to be the center fielder of the New York Yankees. Well, people our age and younger have grown up wanting to be the general manager. And that's because of fantasy baseball or video games or online message boards and certainly the sabermetric movement uh, where people started to think through the eyes of team building as opposed to the through the eyes of, hey, let's watch this home run. Um, so part of that is we put ourselves maybe inadvertently in the shoes of the executive and we have internalized things that they think about we don't have to do that as fans i think there's been a big pushback on that in the last several years and there should be a greater pushback of you know it might upset jed hoyer how much money is being spent or it might certainly upset tom ricketts it's not our money it doesn't matter right and if you know a few things you know that the response to that of right but if we spend too much money we, we can't spend on other things and we can't get good but, that's often a lie. I mean, the revenues show that they could spend way more than they do. Right. Um, so that's a really unfortunate thing. But there is also just out and out propaganda of, you know, baseball media has been guilty of this for years. When Tom Ricketts gives three comments at the owners meeting about, oh, we got to be careful. We've got, you know, we're going to lose some money this year. You know, everyone just takes that as gospel. And the, and the reporters will say, well, the Cubs have a budget crunch. Um, that's not examined. That's not, no. you know, anything that people are critical of. We should be more critical of it. Um, well, the reality you know, is, like, with the Cubs, the they didn't spend as much as they were. But the last two years, as much as they cut back, they're still top half of baseball, the 14th biggest yeah, payroll. That's, that's better than a lot of teams. At least the yeah. Cubs. There was some fear that, you know, when they were 
talking about dealing Bryant when they when they traded you know Javi and and Rizzo and all that. Kind of, there was some fear that oh we're going to have a you know a, a pirate style rebuild or something and uh, you know they didn't do that to the credit to the Cubs credit they they haven't done that um, but you know they had a good second half yeah. and there were some there were some things to build on in the end of the 2022 season. And it strikes me as logical that, hey, it might be a good time to go out and get a frontline <laughs> starter, right? I mean, yeah. Now, you know, maybe you don't do that two years ago. Maybe if you see it going down, I'm not opposed to the idea of ratcheting back things and rebuilding. You have to do that. But right now would be a good time for the Cubs to up it up a little bit. We'll see yeah. what they do this winter. I, you know, I don't know. But I could definitely easily see them just saying, well, we're just going to get a bunch of you know, junk arms and hopefully a couple of them work. <laughs> and and I know they'll do that with the bullpen. I mean, that's sure. a Jed Hoyer special of I'm going to get, you know. But they've a, actually a, done a, well with that. That's actually not a dumb thing to do. I mean, right. I, no one giving a five-year deal to like Craig Kimbrell is not what you should be doing in this world. No. Um, but it is, it, you know, I would love to see the Cubs go in and like Rodon or something like that. I don't yeah, think they will. I'm hoping. There's that Japanese guy, uh, Kodai yeah. Sanga. I'm yeah, yeah, he's a and that's not a posting situation. It's a straight free right. agent situation. Um, you know, and Degrom is problematic, but you know, the idea is at least aim a little higher, right? right? And 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 if you don't aim high, or if you don't get one of those guys, I would love Jed Hoyer to say, "Hey, man, we tried," yeah. as opposed to we just didn't think that was prudent because you, know, you could afford right. it. Well, and, and some of them, like you mentioned, Degrom, there's huge injury injury risk there. So if you want to make a decision age. that, right, with his age and his injury history, that that's not smart money, mm-hmm. I can I can live with that as a fan. But, yeah, if it's if you're but, straight, if you're being straight, that's that's fine. I and and there are a million uh, examples of like the big free agent that didn't pan out. Sure. Um, but at Hayward. the same time, when the Phillies signed Bryce Harper, everybody's like, "Oh, that's the dumbest thing I've ever seen." Well, we're watching right now. Now it's paying off. Mm-hmm. I would love my team to be that dumb. Yeah, exactly. Um, so we, I like the second half of your book. You start talking about what, as a fan, what should we do? Or what, what do we have the freedom to do? It's not, I, I didn't read your book as a, here's how you should be a fan. It's not a how to fan book. But it's here are some options when you see something you don't like. And I think um, I'll bring up, you know, you mentioned it in today's cup of coffee. You know, Marcus Stroman stepped in it again on Twitter. Um, the Cubs have had their own, the Cubs seem to have, all extremes of the players, which I'm sure every team does, but you know, they had a role as Chapman in 2016 with his domestic violence baggage. And then Addison Russell got into his own problems. They had Daniel Murphy and his homophobic comments. And now Marcus Stroman, which with what appears to be anti-Semitic comments on Twitter. Um, at the same time, I've never heard anything about Anthony Rizzo, Ian Happ, Nico Horner, Chris Bryant is anything but great guys. Javi always had a great reputation. Fans loved him. Christopher Morrell just goes and hugs everybody all, all the time. Um, Jason Hayward is a great guy. From yes, always a say. great guy. Yeah. Um, I, I think what it is, I, I again, I'm not telling you how to be a fan. Like you said, it's a permission structure to think differently about how we think about players and teams. So traditionally what you see, and you still see it all the time, especially on social media or online, if you have a team and let's say you're, you're – a, a first baseman for the team. I'm just being absurd here, for example, because I don't want to call any one player out. But say, you know, Joe Smith, your first baseman, uh, photo surface of him at a neo-Nazi rally, okay? <laughs> just something crazy. <laughs> right. Um, there is this built-in thing about fandom of we need to circle the wagons around our guy. 
Um, now that's an extreme example. A less extreme example. The Houston Astros cheated like crazy in 2017, mm-hmm. and Astros fans circled the wagon. No, they didn't. Oh, they were singled out. Oh, there were reasons. Oh, everybody else did it. There's this reflexive thing that we have to, like, like it's national patriotism or, or like it's our family where we have to defend what they do and justify it and tie ourselves into knots to say why it's okay, but the guy on your team who did it, he's terrible. That is such garbage. That is not how humans should operate. It is totally okay to be a Chicago Cubs fan and say, that first baseman who is terrible or whoever, you know, I don't like that guy and I'm not going to root for that guy. Or, you know, I know a bunch of, you know, fans of the Yankees who have gotten to the place, which I think is a healthy place of, I want the Yankees to win every game, but if our oldest Chapman is pitching, I don't want him to do well. Uh, Or Dodgers with Trevor Bauer before he was suspended. Um, It's okay to not like a player on your team if he's a bad dude. I'm not saying that you need to judge everybody's morality and ethics, but to the extent you are going to, or to the extent it becomes unavoidable, it's okay to say a guy on your team is not great. This is not, you know, war. This is sports. At the same time, it's okay if you, and the example I keep using is Mookie Betts. If you're a Boston Red Sox fan and you love Mookie Betts, it's okay to still like Mookie Betts, and it's okay to, to hope he does really well, even though he's with the Dodgers. He didn't betray you. He's no, he's not the enemy now. Or right. if your team, if you root for a team that is just absolutely horrible, that's tanking and it's whatever, don't root for him. I mean, even if it's a matter of taking a two-year break, go and watch somebody else. If you're not getting enjoyment out of it, don't do it. And don't just have blind loyalty. I don't mean... And the, the chapter of this, and I did it intentionally to piss people off, it's called, It's Okay <laughs> to Be a Fairweather Fan. You can. Yeah. Because who yeah. wants to walk around in the rain all the time? Well, and... and... Honestly, as a Cub fan, I grew up having nobody to root for in the playoffs. So you pick somebody. I, I'm still interested in the games. and It's way easier if you have a tradition of rooting for teams that are either not that good or, or mediocre or whatever. And, and like you mentioned, it was a very different Cubs fan experience before, say, like 2014-15. Um, and in, in some ways, I'd argue it's healthier. Um, I'm yeah. sure there's somebody who spent the entire 20th century and part of the beginning of the 21st century being miserable all the time and never questioning their Cubs fan. But I'm guessing most Cubs fans had a pretty Zen feeling about what life was as a Cubs fan for, for most of that time. Yeah. And that's a better way to be. Yeah, that's great. And I like your idea of, you know, sticking with the players. You know, I, I was always a fan of Greg Maddox. He mm-hmm. was just fun to watch pitch. I've continued to like Kyle Schwarber and I mean, he's just electric this postseason. Yeah, I, there's a passage in the book that I share about, you know, I'm a big Greg Maddox fan myself, certainly from his time with the Braves. And, you know, when he went back to the Cubs, I, I, I wanted him to do well. And then he got traded to the Dodgers at that deadline deal. And mm-hmm. I bought a Dodgers cap and I went down to Cincinnati <laughs> to watch him pitch a game for the Dodgers against the Reds. And I'm the only person in the whole park rooting for Greg Maddox. And it doesn't matter that he's, you know, two teams removed from my old team and a decade removed from his dominance. It's like, that's a guy I always wanted to root for. And no matter where yeah. he is, I'll root for him. Yeah, that's great. And I've, it, it's funny over the years, you know, when I was younger and had more time, I was all into the the big fandom you lay out early in the book and watching all the Sports Center highlights. And I'm trying to read what everybody's saying about my team and probably getting pissed off when they don't say the right things about my team. And um, yeah, then you grow up and you get a job and you have kids and you're just busier. And I can make some time to watch some games, but I don't have time to watch all the coverage. So I'm just not as in on that level and it, it did help me take a step back and I saw a lot of myself in this book so that's one of the reasons why I wanted to bring you in here well thank you thank you I, I think most people are like that there are people whose 
entire personality and life is defined by their sports fandom. And there are people that can make that work for themselves. I don't think most people are geared to be that way, and I don't think we should be. It, sports are fun. They're entertaining. And they can give us great joy. And they can make us sad. But if those come to extremes to where they're turning into negative behavior and stuff like that, too much. Yeah, I agree. Well, Craig, thank you so much for coming on today. It's been a great discussion. I really enjoyed it. Well, thank you for having me. It was really fun. I want to thank you for spending time with me today. I hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. Please take 10 seconds and drop a rating and a review on Apple, Spotify, Pandora, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. If you've already done that, thank you so much. Maybe share an episode with a friend. Just a few seconds will help me get better and help others find the show. As always, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at CubsPSPlus. This is Mike Waller, host of the Cubs PS Plus podcast. Every day with Cubs baseball or talking about Cubs baseball is a great day. Go Cubs!